you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. You may be seated. Yeah, welcome to Alto. Uh, <laughs> this is the text I'm going to read to preach upon. Welcome to Alto, right? Um, it, you probably, if you have not been listening in uh, in part of these sermons in Leviticus, you, you'll have to go back and, and catch some introductory sermons uh, to give you an idea of the why and wherefore of, of some of the texts that we see as still binding, you know, by Scripture and by God, and others having been fulfilled already. And rest assured, it's the moral, ethical things that we would believe and teach still pertain to the Christian, uh, but not the sacrificial and uh, ceremonial type things. Anyway, uh, so the first first law here is Leviticus 18.20, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. It's a restatement of God's seventh commandment against adultery. It adds the thought that you will make yourself unclean with her. But that seventh commandment we read earlier, it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It's found in Deuteronomy, in the reading of the law in Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 18. And what it, what it does is that the command guards the marriage bed. As God, with the law, sets a sexual fence around a man's household. It protects the beauty of that marital one flesh relationship. Remember, there should be no sex outside of marriage. It is illicit and off limits. The adulterer is a treacherous person, ultimately against the household. Rush Dooney goes further. He writes, quote, The penalty for adultery is death for both the man and the woman because the society of God's kingdom is family-based and adultery is thus treason to society. J.H. Hertz, he adds that this prohibition is so vital to human society that it's included in the Ten Commandments immediately after the protection of life as being of equal importance with it. The protection of life commandment, of course, is thou shalt not murder. We've got no qualms with that kind of a command. We would expect harsh punishment to come for that command. Proverbs 6 and 7 describe the seduction techniques of the adulteress and the stupidity of the young man who goes, who goes to her. The proverb concludes with this warning. And take your time and read it. <laughs> it doesn't seem too erotic to you, okay? 
It's in the Bible, Proverbs 6 and 7. But the end says, many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Adultery, to commit adultery is, is risking you throwing your life away. When you begin to seek satisfaction outside of the marriage bed, look out. In our society, you may not suffer the death penalty uh, at this point for your traitorous behavior, as our society rarely recognizes God's prescribed punishment for his people. Nonetheless, your life will become like busted concrete like busted concrete, concrete upheaved on many fronts. And if you've participated ever or, or broken that command, you know this to be the case. And it's because God still abides. He still abides and builds his will into creation, whether governors care for it or not. Bed. Bed hopping makes all participants unclean before God. In the New Testament, Jesus is emphatic. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Of course, there's more to be said on that subject. The next law is verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. This is the first mention of child sacrifice to a God in the Bible. The law seems misplaced here. Hurts, writes, We have here the first mention in the Bible of the dreadful practice of child sacrifice to a deity of the surrounding heathen Semites. He calls it it a hideous aberration of man's sense of worship. A hideous aberration of man's sense of worship. So why is the command against idolatry idolatry and and possibly murder, right, placed here among sexual and marital crimes. Commentator Milgram calls it a lopsided imbalance, one idolatrous practice over against 17 itemized sexual violations. My first thought, why is it in here, right, My first speculation was that it could be that all of these laws shared a common denominator. And it wasn't just sexual and and marital. Maybe they all shared the common denominator of being capital crimes for which a person forfeited his or her life. Because regarding child sacrifice, we read coming up in Leviticus 22, the people of the land shall stone him with stones. 
And death is the same punishment for many of the sins of this chapter. Again, according to Leviticus 20. Yet, uh, it didn't seem like it held water why this would be inserted here because there are other offenses that are not mentioned that were, you know, re- death was required for them. Kidnapping would be one instance. Murder would be another. Striking out regularly, at least, at your parents would, would be a cause. Witchcraft, a few more. So offering your offspring or children to Moloch does not seem to make the list just because the crime deserved death. Then why include this law here? Well, let me say at the outset, God can put his laws wherever he wants. He can insert one in a place that might make no sense to you and I. But still, we're supposed to love him with our minds and hearts, etc. So we're trying to figure this out. Why include this law here? Hertz, Hertz hints at an answer, and I think he's on to it myself. He says sexual impurity. Sexual impurity, especially when it is allied or elevated into a form of worship, as it was in the cults of Baal and Astarte. Sexual impurity, especially when it is allied with or elevated into a form of worship, as it was in the cults of Baal and Astarte, dehumanizes. It dehumanizes and leads to the deadening of the holiest human instincts. Why in the world, when in the world would a mother or father ever offer their children in sacrifice to a false god? To any god? In other words, the sexual depravity affects your religion and kills the soul. Sex and marriage are part of life's fiber. So when a person indulges in sexual sin because it is inextricably, because it is inextricable to life's meaning, when a person indulges in sexual sin because it is inextricable to life's inextricable to life's meaning, it must therefore permeate even into their religion. You must find a God who tolerates. No, depending on your flavor, you must find a God who not only tolerates, but who celebrates sexual practices that the true God condemns. The one pursuing sexual sin must find a God that will approve them as a person. Even if they're required to take other extraordinary measures. The pursuit of sex outside of marriage makes you become cold to God's truth. Dark of heart toward others. And willing to consider, really, 
willing to consider the most diabolical practices. A person given over to sexual sin, the devil's wait for them. It's as the Apostle Paul warned in Romans 1, idolatry and sexual depravity play together. He writes, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Okay, so what exactly did it mean to offer your your child to Molech and profane God's name? It meant you were sacrificing your own child in tribute to the God Molech. You were making your, your payment to a false god. a god in particular who had been worshipped by some other nations. Now, there's some uncertainty as to, what, as to who this god was. One argument says that Molech was kind of a generic name, a generic name. The name was often preceded, for instance, by an article of grammar. In other words, it was the Moloch or a Moloch, or their Moloch. And that would be similar to how the name Baal was used. Many peoples could have their own Baal or, or more than one Baal. That's one idea of who this Moloch was. Another idea was that Moloch was thought to be the king or, or the state apparatus And so ancient peoples often identified the king with a god or as a divine being. And so Moloch worship was was to make the state your god. Lastly, Moloch was considered a proper name for a particular god. He was considered the god of the Ammonites. Moloch, the god of the Ammonites. This finds some support, I think, in Scripture. 1 Kings 11.7 says, Then Solomon, what a wonderful king, right? Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Just as Moab had Chemish as their god, the Ammonites had Moloch. So giving your 
offspring as an offering to Moloch, it could have meant giving them to the king as a religious tribute to serve his needs. A little bit like what that woman, was it Hannah, gave her son to, to Samuel to, to live and work for him in the temple? Or at that time in the tabernacle, right? Or giving, giving them to the false religious priestly order. Maybe you, you sacrifice your um, child and give them to the false religious priestly order that they may serve as temple prostitutes, which was a common element in some false religions back then. Or finally offering them as a sacrificial death payment, like you're killing them for your God, or giving your child to be killed. And actually, that last theory makes the most sense, scripturally. In the, in the 1 Kings 11 text, Solomon was, he was straying far from God's word. Not only does Leviticus, okay, that we've been reading here today, speak specifically of Molech, right? You shouldn't get involved with this God. But Deuteronomy chapter 12 warns that there will be temptations. There will be temptations to worship God falsely, your God, our God falsely, and not as he commands that we worship him. Like the nation's worship their gods, we might start worshiping our God and do the things that they were, were doing. And then finally, uh, God was concerned that his people would ultimately run after other gods completely. So Deuteronomy 12 says this, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Mm -mm. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. They even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. That sounds like Moloch worship. In 1 Kings, we can read, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh, here we go. It starts to explain it. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Ammonite, listen to that, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely, listen, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And so what? 
Solomon goes and he builds a high place for Molech. Solomon profaned God. He gave God a bad reputation. Why? What led him to that? Sex. Bad sex. And a desire to cohabit with many foreign women. And it wasn't just one bad king, but many, as well as a wicked people. Listen to 2 Kings 16. It says this, In the seventh year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Going way back, right? But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, the bad, the bad Israel that went, went apostate. He even, listen to what Ahaz did, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. 2 Kings 21 talks of another king. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Pretty bad guy. So Solomon, because of the women he loved, quote unquote, builds a high place for a God to whom it was known that human sacrifices were performed. Later on, King Ahaz burns his son as an offering. Later still, King Manasseh burns his son as an offering. So yes, the law in Leviticus 18 seems to be a law against offering your offspring as a human sacrifice, which to us seems utterly unfathomable. But a people's people's impure designs, listen, a people's impure designs in regard to sex and marriage can hook and drag them out of the water of God's design. The result is the pursuit of false gods and a willingness to do the unimaginable. 
Thankfully, righteous King Josiah comes along, gives him a little breath of fresh air, and he reads the word of God because it's brought to him from the temple. It's like, what's going on here? I guess we should be doing these things. He ordered action to be taken throughout Judah that would eradicate all the idolatrous practices in the land, and there were many. And one thing in particular he did was this. He defiled, it says he defiled Topheth, which, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. This was nearby Jerusalem. Okay? He defiled Topheth, which was in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. End quote. You got to teach your children all the laws that God has given us to command, commanded by. Josiah's reforms did not cure the people of Judah of their false gods. God takes them away to the land of Babylon. This happens after Josiah's time. He takes them away because of their disobedience to the land of Babylon. And the prophet Ezekiel, he describes why later on, as he's in Babylon, as a prophet. The Lord said to me, quote, Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them, the, the idols, for food, the children whom they have borne to me. Moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. Look. The thought of offering your offspring to a false god is ghastly. Who would do such a thing? What kind of person must you be to think so much of yourself that you are willing to slaughter your children? Americans can answer that question with ease. There is no pretend God we are hoping to placate. Not at all. Our people sacrifice their children out of self-absorption. Verse 22 says, You shall not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. Enough said? Apparently not. Apparently not. Homosexuality was not only the rage in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a very blatant example, but God's people, Israel, had a similar problem after they entered the Promised Land. Another story. Almost sounds identical, except for the judgment part. Almost sounds identical to Sodom. The men of Gibeah, the tribe of Benjamin, acted just like those in Abram's day. They were engorged and raged to have a visitor who had come into town. God's people, these are. They wanted to spend themselves. 
If you want to read it on your own time, you find the story of these homosexuals in Judges 19 through 21. We live in a time in the U.S. when people have moved away from God's word. Many are proud to be atheists, agnostics, humanists, really. No God, just man. They think they are free from religious interference. They can do what they please with no higher power to induce guilt. But there are some who grew up differently than what they've become. And these are the ones. These still hold to some of what they learned in church years and years ago. Some of what they learned. Though their schools and television and friends taught them that their parents and their church were wrong, they still didn't want their entire childhood erased. They only want to cast aside a few things Not all things. One thing they wanted was to embrace a sexually illicit lifestyle. This does not play well with Orthodox Christianity. Why? Because of what God said. Yet these wayward children, these wayward ones, they still desire to be kind of approved by the church and by their parents and their families. They don't want to be on the outside of all they grew up doing and believing. If possible, they still want the love and approval of God. But that they can't have. However, they will try to convince others and themselves, frankly, that their lifestyle is acceptable. They believe education is on their side. They believe they have the government on their side. The media and entertainment does not allow a show or commercial to pass without the tender touch of two same-sex people laughing and enjoying one another. Your children who've gone down this path, or cousins, or friends, they... They believe they are now the majority. But it remains important to them that you agree with them. That God made me this way. The church will forever hold the trump card. They are not in the majority if God has dealt the cards. Of course, to go along with what they want, and I know you love them, I get that, but you have to lie to yourself to believe the things they want you to believe. You have to change your views of what God is and who God is and what he has said. You'll have to rethink a lot. It will be easy to rethink in time. Turn on the TV, 
spend some hours in front of it daily. Even watch uh, the politicians go on and on. Don't give in. In this, in this churning sea of sin, you may be your child's only consistent life preserver. It could be your son or daughter or cousin or whatever will be forced to choose. They'll be forced to choose between repenting of their sin, which is preferred, or giving up on their lifelong place of worship, giving up on their families and even their reputations in order, what? That they might keep doing the thing that is biblically unlawful. Your temptation will be to keep your Christian thoughts locked up behind your, behind your eyes, behind your, your teeth. You'll want to try and get along without making additional waves. But that will not help them. If they experience no waves, they will drown peacefully. But they will drown. And look, the, the homosexual may think himself or herself a Christian. And he may be. However, as God's Spirit left the temple in Jerusalem, the threat of God's divine judgment and intolerance of the homosexual's activities is a constant, constant reality to them and to our nation. The one hope of the sexual lawbreaker is to repent in as grave a way as the sinner who first turns to Christ. And if you say, my son is not like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't know, he's not that kind of guy, he's a lovely person. He would never do those things. You may be right on some fronts. But what will he be like if you take it away from him? What will he be like if you take it away from him? You know, his homosexuality. How will he treat you then? Or your God? Verse 23 and you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. I know, parents. It's just reading this stuff makes you blush. But this is here, though, in this law is the mixing of species. It, it is perversion. John Hartley, a commentator, he writes, the chronology of the Old Testament places barriers. It places barriers between the divine realm and the human realm and between the human realm and the animal realm. The mixing of these barriers is considered unnatural and confusion. And as deviant as this sinful and criminal act sounds, 
It was one of the problems of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And before you think this does not happen, who would ever do such a thing today, even in the United States of America? I could have loaded up this sermon with plenty of news articles that I refrained from where men and women were discovered having done such things in the United States of America. However, for the sake of propriety, I heed the apostles' word that it is shameful even to speak of the things that the sons of disobedience do in secret. Each of the sins mentioned today is so deplorable that God required the person engaged in the act to be punished by death. Some of them don't seem as deplorable to us anymore, right? You can imagine why the rallying cause of the godless, the rallying cause of the godless is a world where you are free from accountability to anyone or anything else. Only to create such a world, one must oppose all laws, all rules and standards which will be put upon him except for the one that no one gets to impose the rules. No one. In such a world, God must go. Along with the church. Like Lot, who was an intolerable obstacle, a nuisance to those who wanted to indulge their freedoms. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would be good Christians, that we would be keepers of your law because of a love for you. We understand we don't earn salvation, but that it's a gift that you've accomplished for us. The punishment came upon you, Jesus, that we could um, find forgiveness and justification. However, Lord... We are to be sanctified, we are to be cleaned, and your law comes to bear upon these things. Teach us how to live. In Jesus' name we pray.